Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Welcome to Book Talk. Book Talk is your weekly podcast book club. We read one book and discuss it over four episodes, and sometimes we have special episodes. Right now, we are talking about the third section of Peter Heller's book, The Guide. We'll start with a quick summary before we get into our themes and reactions to this section. So now we know that Jack now knows that he's being watched through that pesky nest thermostat and he needs to figure out what is going on. He starts to tell Allison more of what he knows. They witness more weird things happening, like this new couple, the Takajis, who come in. They try and go to this mysterious spa treatment and they come out looking way worse than when they went in. They immediately try to book a flight to leave. However, the lodge goes into lockdown and our only source of information is Kurt. Jack realizes he has to figure out what is going on, so he sneaks into the other side of the property and watches this line of kids being marched by a set of guards. He tells Allison what is happening. They hear dogs growling and barking while they're fishing. Jack goes to investigate and finds the guards feeding the dogs, a person who has died. He and Allison then make a plan to get the hell out of here. And that might seem like a lot, but for some reason, this section did not answer what I thought it was going to answer. The one question I cannot get over is, what happened to Wind? Like, why do we still not know this far into the book what happened to his friend? Right. I feel like we get the same story again. We already knew that something weird happened with Wind and his mom. We didn't get any new information. We just got him, like, in his own thoughts again, reading and, and like, you know, what is the word? Like, kind of wallowing in this almost. Same thing with him and Allison. Like, I need some more stories here. And I I get it. It's all going to happen in this last section. But I think that's kind of a – I think it could be better. This middle part feels slow. I will say it's very fun because Dan is now reading the guide along with us. And he – I told him, you have to stop where we stopped. Like, you have to stop at the end of the third section yeah. where we did. And this morning he was like, no way am I stopping. Like, I'm going straight through. I have to know what happens. I feel the same way. I think this is not a natural place to stop. We're obviously doing it for the podcast, but right. I would barrel on through because we have these big questions remaining. I feel like this is one of those books that's kind of slow in the middle, but if I was reading this at once, I would just I would just power through this section because it's just like I would probably like ha- not be half reading it, but like very quickly reading it because it's like I'm not getting any new information to get to the end and finish it. So it's always hard when we read a book like that. But I was thinking in my head and comparing this to The Push, which is also – I don't know why I was, it was in there, but I was thinking about it, which is also a thriller. But I feel like think, like there was drama and action. And something was happening each time in The Push, like each section. So it was like each section was like, this is crazy. You're getting new information. Like you still have these big questions like, did she kill her child? But like so much else is happening. You're not just dwelling on like the one thing you don't know. There are two important developments that happen in this section. The first development is we knew from the voicemail that there were kids, but we didn't know necessarily what they were there for. We short, we sort of just figured that out, yeah. um, like put two and two together. So now we have like line of sight on the kids. We understand what Merc means, mercenaries. So there's like hired guns who are. I, yeah, I didn't know what that word meant though. Yeah, it's basically somebody who's who's recruited to fight in an armed conflict. Yes, a hired soldier, a hired hand. Yeah. Okay. Hired gun. Yeah. Hired gun. We know also that the same security guys 
who are following them in the town who Jack kind of dismisses as like, oh, it's interesting that these guys are here eating ice cream. Now we know they were following them and they work for Kurt or they work for whomever um, as mercenaries. And the second part that we get from this section, I think, is we get these new characters, the Takajis, who seem like they do have a moral compass and they do have some ethical concerns and they're clearly in the know about what is happening, but they seem to be morally on Jack's side. So they're clearly not happy about whatever they saw. And I think they're going to help provide context or maybe information for Jack and Allison as they try and figure out what's going on. If like Jack and Allison can, can, can get close to them. Right. And that's like, Kurt is clearly thinking three steps ahead because he's like, I need to isolate these two because they must be figuring something out. I wonder if, if the, you know, the pandemic lockdown thing is real or something Kurt has made up to keep everybody locked in for right now. Um, that seems very coincidental, but I think, yeah, I think they know something, but I don't, now they're like, you need to say 15 feet apart because you were at a crowded bar and there's a ton of cases and then no one has service. I think I didn't realize they don't have service at all, but Allison took that picture and she's like, what am I supposed to do? Go to town and send it because they have no service. So the only source of information about if this influx in cases or pandemic situation is real is Kurt, which is like never good when you can't get your own information and you're truly isolated. But I think they're going to be really important because they seem to see what it is. And unlike everybody else who just kind of keeps to themselves, they're like, they're clearly upset about whatever they saw was happening. And it's not what they were told. Um, and I do, I feel like I still trust Allison at this point. I think that she is just like gullible and part of the front. Yeah. I also trust Allison now, especially after connecting that the security guards were following them in town. It's clear. She's like, she's not on the inside. The fact that they don't have service, it reminds me a lot of leave the world behind, which we've talked about a couple of times, really good book going to be made into a movie, I believe, um, where there's also, you know, they're isolated in this book and they can't like Google is not working and they have these people who told them, oh, there's this disaster going on in New York City. We're not safe. We have to stay here. And the characters are just like panicked to not be able to verify that. And it's this undertone of like, who do you trust if you can't Google it, which is just so funny because right. we get all of our news from Twitter and Reddit and all of these things are also just provided by some other person, but they make right. us feel so much better about the reality of the world. Right. But it feels like if you're watching Twitter or Reddit, you're getting like this, you're like sourcing information from multiple people and sources in real time rather than like getting it through one person who's, you know, you don't have a good gut feeling about. I'm really curious what you think is going to happen with or what you think is happening with these children because of your theory last time, which was that like whoever is in, if I remember correctly, what you were guessing was like whoever is in this place, they're basically testing out treatments for them and then giving treatments for these pandemics to the ultra rich. Do you still think that's what's happening? I mean, they're not children necessarily. I think Jack says like they're 18 to 20. So there are some kids and some like young adults. Yeah. The yeah. oldest, oldest yeah. being 20. So that's fair, but it still seems, I don't know. I don't know if I think that they're testing the drugs on them, but maybe they are just like taking their blood and their livers and their kidneys and shit and giving those to people. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's also a little bit in my mind. I know I'm projecting also some of the like conspiracy beliefs that are out there onto this narrative. Oh. And I'm like, Peter, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't read conspiracy theories. 
what? I hope this is not a like vaccines are bad story. I don't think that's what it's going to be, but I, I'm definitely just reading COVID paranoia and COVID um, conspiracy theories onto the story. So we'll see where that goes. What a concept. I've definitely read no COVID conspiracy theories <laughs> like that. Dude, my health anxiety would never allow me to do that and still function in the real world. That's not a thing. The one other thing I really like about this section is I, we've talked before about how you read books about characters in tragedy or when they're in immense uncertainty and you think like, what would it be like to live through a time that's so uncertain? And here we have Jack, who's clearly dealing with the most insane situation of all time. (laughs) And half of the time he's still obsessing about Allison and wanting to hook up with her and thinking about how beautiful she is. I just love that. I also love that because humans are humans. And even when, and I think we talk about this all the time with a bunch of books we've read, like even in times of like crazy uncertainty or like political unrest or personal tragedy, like people are still people. They still fall in love. They still laugh at stupid things. They still like, they're still humans. And like that, I feel like it's important to hold on to that human aspect. Like people still fell in love in like when in occupied territories and like, you know, all these awful things are happening and people are still people. Um, I feel like it's very humanizing of these characters. And I also, I feel like it does give a little levity to the story to be like him and Allison. I like her. I think she's really absurd, but I like her the more we get to know her. She has the female character written by a man vibe, which is mm-hmm. like she's so cool and down to earth and she she drinks beer and eats a burger and loves to fish <laughs> and is also incredibly slender and beautiful. Naturally beautiful, of course. Um, right. No makeup. She does. She's totally a female character. Yes. Written by a man. That is so funny. I also was thinking about this. Like she's fishing. She's eating all these like I was in line at Starbucks. Like, what should I get to drink here? And I was, like, literally envisioning them eating. And I just remember this line of, like, strawberry, like, waffles with heavy cream and coffee. And I was like, wow, how do I get that in a drink? That sounds so good. And it was just, like, really funny because I'm like, this chick is – you're telling me that she's eating, like, strawberry pancakes with heavy whipped cream every morning, these insane meals. And she's also, like, 100 pounds and needs to be, like, rescued by Jack. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) she's probably – and she, like, loves to fish, which I get the loving to fish. It's just, like, so funny. I feel like this is the country girl trope, which is this, like, slender, stunning girl who's, like, also a singer who eats whatever she wants, who's also a guy's guy and or guy's girl. And um, it's just so unrealistic when you actually, like, people are so diverse, even in, you know, even, like, people who are country or whatever, however you politically correct say that you know what I'm saying damn it (laughs) I still do want some waffles and heavy cream though (laughs) okay the last thing just like what did you think about these inserts of this like kind of obscure and detailed poetry reading that we were like that are in here that Jack is reading and then Allison opens the book and reads the whole passage as well what did you think about that being included I love Jack our renaissance man (laughs) like of course you have Japanese haikus memorized. I have never gotten really into haikus, so I have no way of knowing if this is like, if you are a poetry reader, I should ask my friend who's a guy who's very into poetry. If you are a poetry reader, I do wonder like how popular is the person they're talking about and the the haikus that he memorizes. 
I, I had to look up that haiku. Yeah. I think that's very interesting. I mean, I'm sure that you – haikus are short, I guess, but I feel like it's very interesting to have one memorized. I do love that Jack is this, like, you know, rough-and-tumble rancher's kid who also, like, goes to Dartmouth and, like, memorizes poetry. Loving the contrast. And it's incredibly deep. This is a man written for you, for sure. <laughs> I love that for you. <laughs> uh, but yes, it is incredibly deep. I just, I think that the sections about him and Allison are reading, which were like whole half pages, when they were like reading the book, I'm like, is this going to be important? Or did you just want me to think more about when? And how does when come back to this story? And if it doesn't come back and it's just to show Jack's emotion, I'm going to be annoyed. Write that down. Okay. My guess is that what happened with Wynn involved some conflict where Jack took his eye off of taking care of his friend to engage in this conflict. He's going to face a similar choice with maybe Allison where he has a choice to go after Kurt or save Allison and maybe he'll make a different choice because he clearly thinks back about Wynn and how he like lost what was really important, which was taking care of Wynn in whatever happened and yeah. was focused on this adversary, which again, we don't know very much about and his distrust of people or maybe his need to like write something that is wrong. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I read that section thinking like people tried to tell him something to do or some way to go or something to help win and he ignored them because he didn't think, he thought he knew better. He thought that he was like distrusting their opinion or their knowledge or what they told him to do and that cost win his life. That's like how I read the distrust rather than a conflict. So that's interesting. We'll have to see what happens. I hope we get a lot of answers. I've got a lot of questions. I think we will. I was, again, I was on the bookshop.org. Hello, shop our bookshop page for all our, our book reads, podcast reads, and other books that we're reading. Mm-hmm. Slight pause, slight plug. But I was on the bookshop page for the guide again. And it's just, it's really well rated. And that just always makes me think like we're going to get a satisfying ending. Okay. I can't wait. I might have to read it tonight after I pack. So this is our third episode. Next week, we're finishing the guide. So we always try to announce the next book club book that we're going to be reading, the next book that we're going to be reading over four episodes. We have a couple of special episodes or at least one special episode coming for you in between. But regardless, we want to make sure you have time to get your copy of the book before we start reading, either from bookshop.org or from your local bookstore. So our next book is Once There Were Wolves by Charlotte McConaughey. Once There Were Wolves is propulsive and spellbounding. It's the unforgettable story of a woman desperate to save the creatures she loves if she isn't consumed by a wild that was once her refuge. Whoa. Also, those are some yeah. serious adjectives, so I always love when to see if the book lives up to them. It's exciting. Well, it is also an instant New York Times bestseller. Wow. And it's pretty highly rated. People are talk- like really like this book. It's fuzzy. I think it's also something completely different than what we've read recently. Um, it's set in the Scottish Highlands. It seems mm. like it's like a sister drama. A huge love a twist sister from drama. our mother-daughter Highlands. dramas. We love a mother-daughter drama here. But I also, I love crazy books set in beautiful settings. And I've been going to Scotland forever. So this is going to be um, almost as good. Yeah, I'm excited. Yay! <laughs> Thank you.
think I'm reading the same books as last time, which is group and this book. So, you know, but I did meet my reading goal. And so now I feel like the pressure of meeting as many goals, which is so stupid. And I acknowledge that and then still also feel that now the pressure is there's no pressure and I can read whatever I want. And so I'm going to pick back up that hospital book also because I have like two six hour flights coming up, which is the perfect time to read a very boring book. I find the opposite. I feel like planes are so stressful. I need to be like very stimulated. I need to fully disassociate. Yeah, I um, am so stressed out on planes that I actually can't do that. So I just like do something that's like very monotonous or boring because it like calms my insane anxiety about flying. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Um, Yeah, like that's when I like do work. A lot of really tasks I don't want to do for work I will do on a plane or read a book I don't really want to read on a plane. Well, I have two book updates, which Ooh. I promised, I think, last week. I'm so happy is... for you for finishing a book. Thank you. <laughs> two books. Well, we'll get there. Um, I'm going to – I talk about this a little bit more in a special episode that we have coming up, but I officially put down Blood Meridian. Oh, yeah. Because just couldn't do it. That counts as finishing a book. It. And life is too short. Reading should be enjoyable. Reading is exactly. fun. So I put down that book and I have no intention of picking it back up and I'm not sad about it. Um, so let me know in your DM, in my DMs how you feel about that. But the book I did finish was Michael Pollan, This Is Your Mind on Plants. I'm obsessed with Michael Pollan and everything he does. I love this book. All the chapters were interesting in their own way. So there's like three big sections talking about three different plants, poppies and opium, uh, coffee and peyote or uh, mescaline and just fascinating he is such an amazing writer I want to know if it um made you like confront your caffeine addiction at all <laughs> totally actually it really did because he really? talks about how all the sleep researchers that he know don't really use caffeine at all because caffeine has like an insanely long half-life so your coffee like the caffeine from your coffee is not really out of your system until 12 hours later which means like it's like you think like, oh, after 4 p.m. Oh. I should probably stop drinking coffee. But it's really like if you have coffee at 7 a.m., it's like just getting out of your system at 7 p.m., which is wild. And you're essentially borrowing time. You're like stealing from your sleep from the night, bef- like the night that's coming up. But then you drink more coffee the next day to wake up. It's like mm-hmm. this kind of vicious that's cycle. so interesting. I do feel but- good knowing that it's 12 hours because I feel like I usually have my, norm- my morning two cups of coffee Pre, pre or at 8 a.m. And I'm definitely not going to bed at 8 a.m. So I feel like maybe I should just cut out the afternoon latte I have occasionally. You're not going to bed at 8 p.m.? Right. I'm going to bed after that. So I'm saying like it will be out of the system because after 12 hours. You said I'm not going to bed at 8 a.m. Well, I'm not doing that either, but that's okay. <laughs> um, I have been doing an interesting combination of NyQuil for this cough, which is thankfully mostly gone. Awesome My voice say. is mostly back. Um, but I was doing that in a little nighttime gummy Mm. wink wink. And, uh, look, I have never felt more rested in my life. I'm like, oh, this is what an actual night of sleep feels like. What a dream. I think I need some. I'm like actually awake. Maybe I'll get some in California. Loving it. Anyways, I also, almost more importantly, am watching Squid Game on Netflix. Oh, you started it. Oh, I can talk about Netflix. Okay. 
Is it like, uh, is it good? Like I'm going to like it or is it good? Like you're going to no, like it. It's, it's, it's not extremely, good. Like like it's it. okay. extremely graphic. Like very yeah. gory. Mm-hmm. People. Re- okay. When I was on the bus on the way from wherever I, that bus came to the airport in New York, the, this mom and her kid were across from me having a, and this kid was like 10, an intense discussion about squid games and like who his character would be or what he picked in it or something. And I was like, isn't this show really violent? I mean, you do you, but. It's extremely violent. It's also really funny because I like don't mind gore that much, surprisingly, being like very sensitive, I, but I'm completely fine with it. But Dan hates a specific type of gore, which is he hates when people get stabbed. Ugh. Like anything like knife related, he just like loses it. I mean, and... I hate all gore, so I fully uh, I get that. Um, have you started watching Made yet? I've never even heard of this. Made? Okay, well, it's two in the country right now, so on Netflix. I feel like you should have heard of it. It's but two in the country. Oh, it's number two in the country. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I read this book randomly on at like a library. It had at my local library, they do this like date day with a book thing where you pick up a random book and then you open it later and you just like check it out and <laughs> you see what you got when you get home, which I think is the cutest thing. I got this book in it. And it's a memoir by Stephanie Land, I think is her last name, um, about her experiences as a single mom trying to like navigate the systems that are supposedly set up to help you be able to survive and get on your feet again. Um, And her life as a single mom and a maid. And it is, it's like a very like raw and honest, I think, accounting of her story. And then this is the series based on her memoir. And her memoir like really reads like, fiction. So I thought it was really good. Um, really eye-opening. It reminded me of reading Nickel and Dime when I was in um, like high school, but better. And I started following her on Instagram and this is just funny. She has like, she had like 700 followers and her kid, they're now like a teenager. Um, and then now the, it came out and she has 18,000 followers like overnight, which like good for her. And the actress who is playing her on the show is so good. Um, it is just like, it's heartbreaking and good, but I also think it really is bringing to light like how all of these government programs are truly not safety net programs and are truly not actually helping the people who are, you know, who most need them. And so I hope that a lot of people watch it and I hope that, you know, I understand that it is like, it's, it's one person's story. It is a white woman's story, but it also is like, it is her story. It is her memoir. And I feel like there's still a lot of good that can come from this, even though there's a lot of suffering that's worse and can be compounded by other intersections. Um, but I still think it's an important story. And so I feel like people should watch it. Okay. I'm sold. Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week.